0: You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for July 2016. Today's episode is titled, Technology and the Kingdom of God. Management must recognize that scripture dictates theological advancement as part of obedience to the creation mandate. Therefore, organizations should develop a culture that encourages the development and application of technology as a tool to facilitate obedience to God. This means that technology should be used to increase efficiency, maintain high standards of excellence, and facilitate the development of new products and services. Technological advancement should not be viewed as the goal, but should be used as a tool to facilitate God's purpose in and through all stakeholders of the organization. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Technology and the Kingdom of God.
1: Well, our topic today is technology in the kingdom. And I, well, let me begin by just uh, pointing out a, uh, a book that I read as I prepared this material. It's called uh, From the Garden to the City by John Dyer. And I think it's a readable book. It's an interesting book. Uh, and I was curious about his view of technology in the kingdom. And in the book, uh, he tells a little story that kind of illustrates where he is with this whole idea. Uh, there was a man who had cancer and the body of believers was trying to discern how they could serve this particular man. And so someone came up with an idea that they would pray for him, and so that he would know that they were praying for them, uh, they would give him a beeper, and every time anybody prayed for him, they would beep him. And so every time the beeper went off, he knew somebody was praying for him. And so that was kind of his view of how technology was redemptive, how it could be used for kingdom purposes. Well, I'm hopeful that you can see beyond that. Uh, as, while that may be helpful, and I'm certainly not in any way critical of this, I'm simply saying it it must be more than this. The God of the universe placed all the secrets of technology in our universe and then has orchestrated it so that we have the opportunity to draw these out and to discover them. So that's our job. That's that's a big part of our job on this planet, is to execute the discovery process of technology and then use that technology for the purposes of God. So that's what I want to begin to briefly unpack for you this morning as we talk about technology and the kingdom of God. Now, just a reminder, the kingdom of God is a reference to the reality that Christ is the king. We're in a state where there's rebellion against Christ as the king. And so there's going to be a restoration, uh, of Christ as the king fully, which means the rebellion will be, will be uh, eventually defeated and put aside. And we will have Christ in reality without any rebellion to his rule. He will be king. So we're in that process where God is squelching the rebellion and we are part of the process. We're part of what he's doing to squelch the rebellion. So as we think about, okay, what is our role, you know, with technology and helping to facilitate and be part of what God wants to do at this time in history? Well, we have to understand, you know, where is it we would get understanding for both our role and understanding about technology? Well, i start with some definitions real quickly. These come from Dr. Bruce Waltke, who is one of the preeminent Old Testament scholars alive today. He, uh, in a teaching on the book of Proverbs, uh, I heard him, heard that teaching. I don't have it in written form, but I heard the teaching. He said this: knowledge is an understanding of how the universe works, and wisdom is the skill to apply that knowledge to live well. So he makes a distinction between knowledge and wisdom. You can have what of of knowledge, but not have wisdom. However, you can't have wisdom unless you have knowledge. But just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you have wisdom. So we've got to get very clear. There's a process here, gaining knowledge and then gaining wisdom. Now, how is it that we do this? How do we walk through this process? Well, in a world where we have a a creator who's created everything, and the only way we really know anything is by divine revelation, we have to look for sources of revelation. And there are three sources of revelation. The first source is special revelation. This is the scripture, the revealed word of God in the Bible. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 give us a great text. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this to me is the primary source of revelation, is the special revelation in the word of God. The next source of revelation is general revelation. General revelation is a revelation of God in creation. It is general in the sense that it is is available to everyone. Special revelation is only available to those who bend the knee to Christ and who accept the Bible as God's word. If you don't do that, you won't be receiving much from Scripture. But if you really receive Scripture as God's revelation, it becomes very special revelation to you. It's available to you by virtue of your profession of faith in Christ, and the illuminating work of the Spirit. General revelation, on the other hand, is what we can learn by just living in the world, living in the midst of this created universe. God has given everyone the grace, which is called common grace, to be able to learn things and to understand how to live in God's universe. That is general revelation. And finally, we have specific revelation. Specific revelation is where God speaks to you in some way about a specific situation and a specific time and a specific incident in time. And so one of the examples of this is David when he was fighting the Philistines. Uh, Early on when he fought them, he was given a, a direction on how to fight them, and then a little time later passed and they come back again. And wisely, he did not assume that the prior strategy would work, so he asked the Lord again, and God gave him a specific revelation about how to do it this time. A specific strategy that was different from the first time. So this is an example of how God can have very specific instructions for us in a specific situation at a specific time. So these are the three sources of revelation and I hope you readily recognize that the only way you can enjoy all three sources of revelation, all three ways of gaining knowledge and wisdom is by knowing Christ. If you do not know Christ, then the only source of revelation you have is general revelation. Now you might say, well, I learned things about the Bible from my mother. Well, that's true. And that's, that to me is part of general revelation because that's stuff that's generally taught. There are many, many people out there that attend churches and various other Bible studies and things that don't know Christ, but they grew up where they were around that kind of teaching. And so they were able to glean some of that, but that's just general revelation. Special revelations when you are applying yourself to learning and growing in the Word of God. That's the sense of it, which I'm using it here. This is why I say the only way that you can have all three sources of revelation operative in you is you have to be growing and maturing in Christ. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can get revelational knowledge. In in addition to these sources, you can apply yourself both empirically and intuitively. God works through both. He works through reason and he works through heuristic experience. Heuristic experience is trial and error. And you can immediately see that reason and heuristic experience are primarily sources of of interpreting general revelation. Well, but you can also apply that. You should apply that to special revelation and specific revelation as well. Plus, there's times that God gives you intuitive revelation. That is, you just know things, and you really don't know how you know it. You just know it. And a great example of this is how Charles Towns developed the laser. He spent years trying to understand how the laser would work. And it wasn't until he was the day of of a special meeting with a military department that had actually funded his research that he had to give an account, and he had nothing to say, and he's seeking the Lord on a park bench in Washington, D.C., early in the morning praying for what he was going to say to the war department, and the Lord downloaded to him that day the revelation he needed for how the laser would work. And he knew, as clearly as anyone, that that did not come from him. That came by divine impartation to him. So that's just an example of how God illuminates revelation. You see, revelation requires illumination. You have to be able to see it. Revelation can be in front of you, but if you don't have illumination to see it, you're not going to see it, and you won't understand it. So that's key, revelation and illumination. Revelation, you can say, is the source of wisdom and knowledge. Illumination is the hermeneutic. It's the way you're able to see it, and they'll properly understand it. Now, an example of intuitive revelation, I gave you Charlestown, but another example I think is fascinating because this came from men that I don't think knew the Lord, but yet deep down in there's inside of them, they had a sense that God was at work revealing things to them. This was Edwin Land and Steve Jobs. Both of them were very famous developers of products in the 20th century. Edwin Land developed the Polaroid camera. Steve Jobs developed, of course, the Macintosh computer. And in a famous conversation that was recorded by uh, one, of the, one of the executives, John Scully of Apple at the time, this is what he recorded that was said that day. Dr. Land said, supposedly, I could see the Polaroid camera, what it should be. It was just as real to me as if I were sitting, it was sitting in front of me. This is before he developed it. He could see it. And then Steve Jobs says this, yeah, that's exactly the way I saw the Macintosh. I saw it before I developed it, before it was built. And they were given intuitive revelation, a great example of intuitive revelation that came from God about products that God wanted them to develop. Now the predicate for technological advancement, uh, is very important because you, you have to understand what is this that facilitates advancements in technology. Charles Murray, who is an agnostic, did research and tried to understand what it is that facilitated technological advancement. He came to a very, very clear, startling conclusion. His conclusion was that what facilitated human accomplishment the best was a Christian worldview. Because a Christian worldview has a sense of individual purpose, a sense of individual responsibility to fulfill that purpose, and a sense of having a context, a cultural context in which people can fulfill that purpose. Only a biblical worldview has that sense. And so that's what surprised him. There's no other worldview that facilitates the advancement of technology like Christianity. So here's an agnostic researcher who's testifying to the reality of how Christianity facilitated the technological advancement that we enjoy today. Nancy Piercy, in her book on the solo science, which is about a, a biblical philosophy of science, she also noted that that other worldviews are not able to really come up with a foundation that is a philosophical foundation to support technological advancement. She notes that the Chinese couldn't do it because they had no sense of of an orderly universe and a discoverable universe. She goes on to talk about. Now the first fifteen hundred years of Christianity, you know, scientific development was anemic, and why was this? Well, the reason for it was because the Greek philosophy dominated this time, and furthermore, the Greek philosophy deified the natural world. Basically, it was very. It led to pantheism, although the Greeks didn't often talk about pantheism. Their philosophy led to pantheism, and that led them to a deified world, and you can't have a development of science. If you have deified the material world. You see, God, while He is imminent, He's not, He's he's not, the essence of God is not the material universe. He created that. It certainly reflects Him in many ways, but it's not Him. He is transcendent and He is both imminent. He's imminent here to govern. He's transcendent in the sense that He defined all things. So again, a biblical worldview was necessary as a foundation for a philosophy of science to be developed that would produce technological advancement. Now, there are a number of key presuppositions that 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 drive this, but probably none, none is more important than a creator who's created based on transcendent, imminent principles. He's a rational, good creator who has created these timeless universal principles that really govern our universe. What's so amazing to me having been trained as a scientist is to see how the, the philosophy students in the philosophy departments of universities today have no clue what the philosophy of the scientists are. The philosophy students are all about relativism, postmodernism, you know denying timeless universal principles and yet you go down down the street to the science building, they are building everything in science based on timeless universal principles. So within the university itself, there's not consistency. There's disconnects there and nobody seems to be addressing that. I keep waiting for someone to recognize this and it goes unrecognized. The only way you can advance technology is to believe in timeless universal principles. There's no other way to do it. If the, if the universe is going to change between today and tomorrow, we can't predict anything. We can't forecast anything. We don't know what the rules are going to be tomorrow. But the reality is it's unchangeable because we have a God who is unchangeable. He's created these principles. And it's great men of God that have embraced this reality about God that have now built a, a, a philosophy of science that supports technological advancement. And that's the key. Christianity is the only world worldview that really supports this. What kept us bound up for so long was Aristotle's view of science. Aristotle's view of science assumed that we have many gods. It was polytheistic, and these gods were whimsical, and that's what created the various phenomena that we experienced in the universe was these gods warring with each other and disagreeing with each other. That created all kinds of effects that we could never predict. So there was never any picture in Aristotle's philosophy of science that you could have timeless universal principles that were discovered. And it was great men like Copernicus, Kepler, and Newton that stood up and said no to the Aristotle's view of science, this pagan view of science that dominated Christianity from the time of Christ until the 16th century, and said that is not correct. And these men began to lead the way to break free from paganism so we could now build a biblical philosophy of science. Now, why is all this important? Well, we have a mandate for technological advancement. It's right in the creation mandate. If you look at that text, you find in there, there's a phrase in there that says, God said, blessed, God, then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now that word subdue comes from the Hebrew word kabash. It means to make subservient. The implication is you're bringing the physical universe into obedience and subservience to man so that man can fulfill his role which is outlined in this mandate, to have dominion, to rule the universe, to represent God in that rulership. And so that's what that's what we have. This is the basis for technology. If you are involved in technological advancement in any way, and everyone should be on some level, you need to know this is the biblical foundation for it right here, to subdue it to bring our understanding to bear upon God's physical universe so that we can then go forward and rule and reign according to the will and ways of God even better and better over time interestingly before the Greeks there was a lot of technological advancement that occurred uh, and here uh, here on this this particular uh, uh, screen I'm showing you a number of examples of this I don't have time to take you through it but you know you I want to capture it on the video so that uh, if you have a chance to go back and look at this, you can ponder some of these things. but there's some amazing things that happen you know we learn how to build things construction, we learn how to communicate we learn how we learn something about healthcare, we learn things about information technology and mathematics and military weaponry, all kinds of things that we have learned before the Greeks came along and really kind of distorted the philosophy of science, and in many ways kind of blocked the development of technology for the next 2,000 years. From the time of the classical Greek period in about the 4th century B.C. to the 16th century A.D., that's 2,000 years, largely that the technological advancement during that time was very anemic, and it was because largely the Aristotle's view, the Greek view of science, was adopted, and it was rooted in pagan polytheism whimsical gods doing things, therefore we cannot know any principles about science and technology. It took Christians to break free from that, so now we have the ability at a new level today to obey the creation mandate and to actually make technology subservient to us so we can better serve the purposes of God. So our job here is to steward technology and to use it as a tool of dominion a tool to bring forth the will and ways of God. And we have to recognize that we have time and talent and treasure and all of these things need to come together and produce an increasing, advancing a culture that's taking dominion of God's creation, ruling and reigning better and better. Keep in mind that Trinity is always at work. We are to be lining up with what the Trinity is doing. The Trinity is unveiling this technology to us We're discovering the plans of the Father. We see in Christ the one who executes the plans of the Father. So as we, we knit ourselves with Christ, we are now discovering our role in the meta narrative and we are becoming His agents to execute the plans of the Father. And the driving facilitator of all this is the Holy Spirit. So this is the way all this fits together. We need to see ourselves in our work as being partnering with the Trinity with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to execute his will and do his will according to his ways. Most people, even professing Christians today, extol technological advancement as tools to be used for what is called the common good or greater good, terms that are not generally well defined. At least in my searching for good definitions of this, it's it's generally just vague definitions. And so we've got to get clear, and I'm going to offer What I think of some clarity on this. The way that we determine the common good and the greater good is simple. It is that which aligns with what is in it for God. You see, we're in a culture that wants to believe what's in it for me. That becomes a big question. It's not what's in it for me. It's what's in it for God. That's the only thing that counts. That's the greater good. That's the common good. So we need to be Busy about discerning what's in it for God. Why is God unveiling this technology? What does he want done with this technology? What is my role in developing that technology? What is my role in utilizing that technology to advance his purposes, his causes here on earth? So we've got to begin to think like that or we will never be profound in walking according to the will and ways of God. Now looking ahead, there's some things interesting coming up that we may not have paid attention to. That is technological advancement that the scripture gives uh, some allusion to, but we, you know, we've probably not considered these things. So here's just a few things that I've noted. I don't view this as a complete list at all. This is just a few things I've noted as I've looked at scripture. Undiscovered technologies. We're going to have a world in the future without an ocean of waters. Now that's very interesting. Without an ocean of waters. You know, our oceans are a very integral part to our to the cycle of, of what we would, we would call the plant cycle where you have evaporation, condensation, rain, and it waters the plants and then the rain runs off of the rivers and goes into the ocean and evaporates again. That whole cycle, that's very integral. So suddenly something's going to happen there. Something's going to change. And I don't know what it is that, that's going to facilitate this, but this might give somebody who is called of God to look at this inspiration on how, how this might work. There's going to be a city actually coming down from heaven. Well, if that's literal, what does that mean? What does that look like? How about removal of sorrow, death, crying, and pain? How does that happen? Construction with pure gold, like clear glass. As far as I know, we have no idea how to use gold to produce something, a substance as clear as glass. Streets paved with gold, like transparent glass or a gate made from one pearl wow that is a huge pearl or no need for light from the sun or moon we don't again we don't know how to connect to that how the universe can work you know any other way see we're very limited in our perspective but God is seen here through these future technologies that are going to be a reality there's something a whole lot more to this universe that we have begun to understand, you know, I read these things and I see these things. Another one is fruit trees bearing fruit in every season, and animals that are not are not are not. There's no animosity between the animals. I see those things. And I say, "Wow, how does that happen?" You know, I realize that. Wow, there is a God who is so much beyond us, so much bigger than we are, who thinks way beyond we think you realize, wow, there's there's so much more here. Can somebody get inspired when they see this and realize, wow, the only way we're going to uncover these technologies is God's got to reveal them to us. He's got to show them to us. And will somebody be used of God to unveil some of these technologies, just like Steve Jobs and Edward Land were used to unveil certain technologies. Charlestown, unveiling the laser. He used men to unveil technologies. Will he do that in the future? He very well might and some of us may have roles to play. So we've got to get very clear that the the kingdom of God includes technology. It's part of God's plan. Advances in technology are ways that we, we increase and improve our ability to exercise the rule and reign of God on this earth. And we must be about these things. We could, we could take a look at just businesses and we could see many businesses that have tried to to exist and have not tried to advance technology. They simply tried to maintain their technology. The railroads are a great example. Railroads, when the airplane came along, had no vision that there might be a better vehicle for transportation than a railroad. They just were busy running a railroad. The reality is the airplane and then the truck became far superior technologies to the railroad. And the people that were given vision to see that were able to take dominion and then bring forth a ruling, reigning God in those areas. So this is a picture, a vision for how God plans for us to use technology to advance his kingdom. It's always about obedience to his will and his ways in everything we do, and he wants us to use the technology he's hidden in his creation. He wants us to discover it and then bring it under submission to us so that we can serve him and we can be more submitted to him and execute his will and his ways better and better for his glory. May God give us grace to do that well in Jesus' name.